Hello, Set Apart Saints. This is David Nakao Wilcoxon. This audio is from the Olivet Discourse Decoded video series. The videos were low-tech, mostly me just reading what's on the screen. So you're not missing much in the audio version. The Olivet Discourse Decoded PDFs that I refer to in the lessons can be found at www.theolivetdiscourse.com. Enjoy the lesson. Hello, Set Apart Saints. This is David. In the previous videos, we saw how Jewish historian Josephus was protected and set aside to record the events which took place, so that by his impartial witness, we can see the fulfillment of the time of great tribulation for the Jewish nation during the Jewish-Roman War of 66-70 to AD. And we covered the different factions which were present in Jerusalem, who fought against each other during the Jewish Civil War as they came against each other while the Romans had them surrounded in Jerusalem. So let's pick up the narrative. In an attempt to get people to fight against the Romans, the zealots intentionally burned the stockpile of dry food, which would have supplied their needs for a few years. John made sallies against Simon in the town to loot stores and set fire to the supply warehouses. The city's areas surrounding the temple court became devastated by fire, and nearly all grain supplies were burned. This led to famine that decimated the people. The Roman armies could see that the crazed factions in Jerusalem would fight over every inch of the city, so they encompassed the entire city so that there was no longer any egress. This cut off the food supply, which increased the infighting in Jerusalem. Josephus documented that the Jews ignored the signs of their doom and brought calamity upon themselves, saying, For God had blinded their minds for the transgressions they had been guilty of, Nor could they see how much greater forces the Romans had than those that were now expelled, no more than they could discern how a famine was creeping upon them. For hitherto they had fed themselves out of the public miseries, and drank the blood of the city. And this reminds me of Daniel 9.24, which says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, upon the Jews, upon thy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression. And so you look at that and you go, look at what Josephus just said. Yah, the Heavenly Father, has blinded their minds for the transgressions they had been guilty of. And what is that? That's delivering their promised Messiah up to be killed. G.J. Goldberg of Josephus.org says, Titus holds a difficult consultation with his officers. Unable to rebuild the works, but unwilling to wait indefinitely, Titus decides to blockade the city completely to prevent food supplies entering. At the same time, he will rebuild the embankments at the one position only against Roman Antonio Fortress. Enthusiastic troops build an earthen wall or trench completely around the city in three days. All hope of escape being cut off, the famine within the city intensifies. Burials are neglected. Bodies pile up. Insurgents continue the trials of prominent persons, execute eminent men, and imprison Josephus' father. Then did the famine widen its progress and devour the people by whole houses and families. The upper rooms were full of women and children dying by famine, and the lanes of the city were full of the dead bodies of the aged. The children also, and the young men, wandered about the marketplaces like shadows, all swelled with the famine, and fell bound dead, wherever so their misery seized them. When the city was wild, it was not possible to gather herbs, and some persons searched the common sewers and old dunghills of cattle for food. In that witness, we see the fulfillment of Messiah's prophetic words. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, 
at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies, the Romans, shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee around, and keep thee in on every side. Eusebius recorded the famine, starvation, and fighting over food, which Josephus had documented. For the wealthy, he says, it was equally dangerous to remain, for under pretense that they were going to desert, men were put to death for their wealth. The madness of the seditions increased with the famine, and both the miseries were inflamed more and more day by day. Nowhere was food to be seen, but bursting into the houses, men searched them thoroughly, and whenever they found anything to eat, they tormented the owners on the ground that they had denied that they had anything. But if they found nothing, they tortured them on the ground that they had more carefully concealed it. The proof of their having or not having food was found in their bodies of the poor wretches. Those of them who were still in good condition, they assumed, were well supplied with food. While those who were already wasted away, they passed by, for it seemed absurd to slay those who were on the point of perishing for want. Many, indeed, secretly sold their possessions for one measure of wheat. They belonged to the wealthier class, of barley if they were poorer. Then shutting themselves up in the innermost parts of their houses, some ate the grain uncooked on account of their terrible want, while others baked it according as necessary and fear dictated. Nowhere were tables set, but snatching the yet uncooked food from the fire, they tore it in pieces. Wretched was the fare, and a lamentable spectacle it was to see the more powerful secure in abundance while the weaker mourned. Of all evils, indeed, famine is the worst, and it destroys nothing so effectively as shame. For that which under other circumstances is worthy of respect in the midst of famine is despised. Thus women snatched the food from the very mouths of their husbands and children, from their fathers, and what was the most pitiable of all, mothers from their babes. And while the dearest ones were wasting away in their arms, they were not ashamed to take away from them the last drops that supported life. And even while they were eating, thus they did not remain undiscovered. But everywhere the rioters appeared, to rob them even of these portions of food. For whenever they saw a house shut up, they regarded it as a sign that those inside were taking food. And immediately burst open the doors. They rushed in and seized what they were eating, almost forcing it out of their very throats. Old men who clung to their food were beaten, and if the women concealed it in their hands, their hair was torn out for doing so. There was pity neither for gray hairs nor for infants, but taking up the babes that clung to their morsels of food, dashed them to the ground. To those that anticipated their entrance and swallowed what they were about to seize, they were still more cruel, just as if they had been wronged by them. And they devised the most terrible modes of torture to discover food, stopping up the privy passages of the poor wretches with bitter herbs and piercing their seats with sharp rods. And men suffered things horrible even to hear of, for the sake of compelling them to confess to the possession of one loaf of bread, or in order that they might be made to disclose a single drachm of barley which they had concealed. But the tormentors themselves did not suffer hunger. Their conduct might indeed have seemed less barbarous if they had been driven to it by necessity. But they did it for the sake of exercising their madness, and of providing sustenance for themselves for days to come. And when any crept out of the city by night, as far as the outposts of the Romans, to collect wild herbs and grass, they went to meet them. And when they thought he had already escaped the enemy, they seized what he had brought with him. And even though oftentimes the man would entreat them, and calling upon the most awful name of God, 
adjure them to give him a portion of what he had obtained at the risk of his life, they would give him nothing back. Indeed, it was fortunate if the one that was plundered was not also slain. The sick were not strong enough to bury even their own relatives, and those who had the strength hesitated because of the multitude of the dead and the uncertainty as to their own faith. Many indeed died while they were burying others, and many betook themselves to their graves before death came upon them. There was neither weeping nor lamentation under these misfortunes, but the famine stifled the natural afflictions. Those that were dying a lingering death looked with dry eyes upon those that had gone to their rest before them. Deep silence and death-laden night encircled the city. But the robbers were more terrible than these miseries, for they broke open the houses, which were now mere sepulchres, of the dead, and stripped the covering from their bodies, and went away with a laugh, tried the points of their swords in the dead bodies, and some that were lying on the ground still alive thrust through in order to test their weapons. Those that prayed that they would use their right hand or their sword upon them contemptuously left to be destroyed by the famine. Every one of these died with eyes fixed on the temple. They left the seditious alive. Of those that perished by famine in the city, the number was countless, and the miseries they underwent, unspeakable. For as so much as the shadow of food appeared in any house, there was war, and the dearest friends engaged in hand-to-hand combat with one another, and snatched from each other the most wretched supports of life. Neither would they believe that even the dying were without food. The robbers would search them while they were expiring, lest anyone should feign death while concealing food in his bosom. Mouth gaping for want of food, they stumbled and staggered like mad dogs, and beat the doors as if they were drunk. And in their impotence, they would rush into the same houses twice or thrice in one hour. Necessity compelled them to eat anything they could find. They gathered and devoured things that were not fit, even for the filthiest of irrational beasts. Finally, they did not abstain, even from their girdles and shoes. They stripped the hides off their shields and devoured them. Some of them even wisp of old hay of food. Others gathered stubble and sold the smallest weight of it for four attic drachma. But why should I speak of the shamelessness which was displayed during the famine towards inanimate objects? For I am going to relate a fact such as recorded, neither by Greeks nor barbarians, horrible to relate, incredible to hear. And indeed, I shall gladly have omitted this calamity, that I might not seem to posterity to be a teller of fabulous tales, if I had not innumerable witnesses to it in my own age. And besides, I should render my country poor service if I suppress the account of the sufferings which she endured. After speaking of some things, Josephus proceeds as follows. I cannot hesitate to declare what my feelings compel me to. I suppose that the Romans had longer delayed in coming against these guilty wretches. The city would have been swallowed up by a chasm, or overwhelmed with a flood, or struck with such thunderbolts as destroyed Sodom. For it had brought forth a generation of men much more godless than were those that suffered such punishment. By their madness, indeed, was the whole people brought to destruction. Those that were suffering from the famine now longed for death, and blessed were they that had died before hearing and seeing miseries like these. Such was the reward which the Jews received for their wickedness and impiety against the Christ of God. Josephus noted that the starving Jews were like a wild beast grown mad, which for want of food from abroad fell now upon eating its own flesh. Eusebius wrote, there was a certain woman named Mary that dwelt beyond Jordan, whose father was Eleazar, 
of the village of Bethesor. She was distinguished for her family and her wealth, and had fled with the rest of the multitude to Jerusalem, and was shut up there with them during the siege. The tyrants had robbed her of the rest of the property, which she had brought with her into the city from Perea. And the remnants of her possessions and whatever food was to be seen, the guards rushed in daily and snatched away from her. This made the woman terribly angry, and by her frequent reproaches and imprecations, she aroused the anger of the rapacious villains against her. But no one, either through anger or pity, would slay her, and she grew weary of finding food for others to eat. The search, too, was already become everywhere difficult, and the famine was piercing her bowels and marrow, and resentment was raging more violently than famine. Taking, therefore, anger and the necessity of her counselors, she proceeded to do the most unnatural thing. Seizing her child, a boy who was sucking at her breast, she said, O wretched child, in war, in famine, in sedition, for what do I preserve you? Slaves among the Romans, we shall be even if we are allowed to live by them. But even slavery is anticipated by the famine, and the rioters are more cruel than both. Come, be food for me, a fury for these rioters, and a byword to the world. For this is all that is wanting to complete the calamities of the Jews. And when she had said this, she slew her son, and having roasted him, she ate one half herself, and covering up the remainder, she kept it. Very soon the rioters appeared on the scene, and smelling the nefarious odor, they threatened to slay her immediately, unless she should show them what she had prepared. She replied that she had saved an excellent portion for them, and with that she uncovered the remains of the child. They were immediately seized with horror and amazement, and stood transfixed at the sight. But she said, This is my own son, and the deed is mine. Eat, for I too have eaten. Be not more merciful than a woman, no more compassionate than a mother. But if you are too pious, and shrink from my sacrifice, I have already eaten of it, let the rest also remain for me. At these words, the men went out trembling, in this one case being affrighted. Yet with difficulty did they yield that food to the mother. Forthwith, the whole city was filled with the awful crime, and as all pictured the terrible deed before their own eyes, they trembled as if they had done it themselves. No doubt there were many more cases of cannibalism during this time of severe famine. What a horrible time of trouble for the Jewish nation. The miseries of Jerusalem grew worse and worse every day. The blood from dead bodies stood in lakes and the holy courts themselves. Pestilence from unclean conditions caused diseases and death. The number of those that perished was prodigious, and their miseries were unspeakable. Josephus documented this horrible sight, and indeed the multitude of carcasses that lay in heaps, one upon another, was a horrible sight, and produced a pestilential stench, which was a hindrance to those that would make sallies out of the city and fight the enemy. But these zealous came at last to that degree of barbarity as not to bestow a burial either on those slain in the city or on those that lay along the roads, but as if they had made an agreement to cancel both the laws of their country and the laws of nature, and at the same time that they defiled men with their wicked action, they would pollute the divinity itself also. They left the dead bodies to putrefy under the sun. These men therefore trampled upon all the laws of man and laughed at the laws of God. And for the oracles of the prophets, they ridiculed them as the tricks of jugglers. Eusebius wrote, These at first gave orders that the dead should be buried out of the public treasury, for they could not endure the stench. But afterward, 
when they were not able to do this. They threw the bodies from the walls into the trenches, into the valleys around Jerusalem. And as Titus went around and saw the trenches, the valleys filled with the dead, and the thick blood oozing out of the putrid bodies, he groaned aloud, and raising his hand, called God to witness that this was not his doing. Josephus recorded that Titus asked the Jews, Have you not, vile wretches that you are, by your permission, put up this partition wall before your sanctuary? Have not you been allowed to put up the pillars thereto, belonging at due distances, and on it to engrave in Greek, and in your own letters this prohibition, that no foreigner should go beyond that wall? Have not we given you leave to kill such as go beyond it, though he were a Roman? And what do you do now, you pernicious villains? Why do you trample upon dead bodies in this temple? And why do you pollute this holy house with the blood of both foreigners and Jews themselves? I appeal to the gods of my own country, and to every god that ever had any regard to this place, for I do not suppose it to be now regarded by any of them. I also appeal to my own army, and to those Jews that are now with me, and even to yourselves, that I do not force you to defile this your sanctuary. And if you will but change the place whereupon you will fight, no Roman shall either come near your sanctuary or offer any affront to it. Nay, I will endeavor to preserve you, your holy house, whether you will or not. Titus was appalled at how the Jews treated each other during this time of trouble for the Jewish nation. Manius, the son of Lazarus, came running to Titus at this very time and told him that there had been carried out through that one gate no fewer than 115,880 dead bodies. This was itself a prodigious multitude. Though this man was not himself set as governor at the gate, yet he was appointed to pay the public stipend for carrying these bodies out, and so obliged of necessity to number them. After this man there ran away to Titus, many of the eminent citizens told him the entire number of the poor that were dead, and that were no fewer than 600,000 were thrown out of the gates, still though the number of the rest could not be discovered. The dead bodies were not taken outside the city and buried for fear of being killed, so they stacked up around the city and were flung into the ravines around the city. Under the pressure of the famine, many Jews went out at night into the valleys in search of food. These were caught, tortured, and crucified in sight of those on the walls of the city. Josephus relates the atrocities and barbarities that the people suffered at the soldiers' hands and describes their agonies and lamentations. He then sent a party of horsemen and ordered that they should lay ambushes for those that went out into the valleys to gather food. Some of these were indeed fighting men who were not contented with what they got by rapine, but the greater part of them were poor people who were deterred by deserting by the concern they were under their own relations, for they could not hope to escape away together with their wives and children without the knowledge of the seditious, nor could they think of leaving these relations to be slain by the robbers on their account. Nay, the severity of the famine made them bold in thus going out, so nothing remained but that, when they were concealed from the robbers, they should be taken by the enemy, and when they were going to be taken, they were forced to defend themselves for fear of being punished, and after they had fought, they thought it too late to make any supplications for mercy. So they were first whipped, and then tormented with all sorts of tortures, before they died, and were then crucified before the wall of the city. This miserable procedure made Titus greatly to pity them, while they caught every day five hundred Jews, nay, some days they caught more. Yet it did not appear to be safe for him to let those that were taken by force go their way, 
and to set a guard over so many, he saw, would be to make such a great deal them useless to him. The main reason why he did not forbid that cruelty was that he hoped the Jews might perhaps yield at the sight, out of fear lest they might themselves afterward be liable to the same cruel treatment. So the soldiers, out of the wrath and hatred they bore the Jews, one after one way and another after another, to the crosses, by way of jest, when their multitude was so great that room was wanting for the crosses and crosses wanting for the body. The soldiers were bored, so they delighted in torturing and crucifying the Jews who tried to escape the city. At one point, five hundred every day were being crucified on the trees around the city, so that all the trees had multiple bodies on them. The soldiers amused themselves by nailing their victims in different postures, and these bodies were not taken down, but left up to rot and be eaten by birds and animals. Titus was saddened by the necessity of the crucifixions, as the Jewish nation could have surrendered. Titus used Josephus to speak unto the Jews to try to persuade them to surrender. He circled the walls as he spoke to the rebel factions. He implored them to spare themselves, the people, the city, and the temple. In the end, Josephus makes a personal appeal. I have a mother, a wife, a not a noble family, and an ancient and illustrious house involved in these perils. And maybe you think it is on their account that my advice is offered. Slay them. Take my blood as the price of your own salvation. I too am prepared to die if my death will lead to your learning wisdom. Rebel leader John of Gascala asserted to Josephus that he did not fear capture by the Romans because Jerusalem was God's city. Josephus responded, It is God himself who is using the Romans to purge his temple with fire and exterminate a city so choked with pollution. What a horrifying scene in and around Jerusalem. Messiah, in his Olivet Discourse, is pointing to the great tribulation of the Jews at their own hand, and then by the armies that came against them. In the next video, I'll continue the explanation of the time of great tribulation for the Jewish nation during the Jewish-Roman War of 66-70 to 70 AD. Thank you for listening to this Olivet Discourse Decoded Audio. You can save and print Olivet Discourse Decoded PDF summaries. You can request a free copy of the Olivet Discourse Decoded book or order a printed copy at www.theolivetdiscourse.com. Please share this podcast audio with others so that they can see the glory of Messiah in the fulfillment. I love y'all. Shalom.